good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody get their coffee this morning? I know, yeah, there you go. I know I didn't need an alarm clock to wake up today. Uh, that storm woke me up. And uh, I also don't need a pool because my backyard is now a pool. Um, but speaking of pools, we're going to go ahead and just dive right in today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And uh, a few weeks ago, we celebrated what is for Christians the greatest holiday of the year, which is Easter, the Easter weekend, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. And if you were with us, Graham went through the account of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus in Matthew 27 and 28. And we're going to pause from his series in Hebrews, and we're going to kind of pin the tail on the donkey and finish up Matthew 28. All right, so uh, you, may have, you may already know what's at the end of Matthew 28. It's some of the most famous verses in all the Bible, and it's known as the Great Commission, and it kind of comes to us as, as a last will, in a sense, uh, except I guess this was given after Jesus had already died, so it's kind of different in that way. But anyway, let's go ahead and dive in, and uh, we'll read Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, like I said, these are some of his final words before he was um, almost magically taken up into heaven. Have you ever read how this happens? Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's sharing with his followers. And as he's talking, he just starts to, like, levitate off the ground, and he's lifted up into the sky. And some of you don't believe me. It's in there. Read it. It's in there. But anyway, uh, now, the Great Commission are some of his final commands given to his followers, and it, and it is really great. Uh, it literally reaches to the ends of the earth, all right? And it's not just a far-reaching geographically, but it reaches down into our everyday ordinariness. The things that we go through every day, the Great Commission uh, plays uh, a part in that. And so um, whether you are a traveling salesperson going from place to place, day to day, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a nurse, a teacher, a bus driver, whether you're a student, you're a manager, you're retired, the Great Commission is still a command for us to live out and obey. But, you know, in our day, the word obey and obedience are almost evil words in our day and age. Uh, and I think as adults, we tend to think of the word obedience as something that only children should do, right? We think, well, a kid is smaller than me and they need to obey me. Um, but, you know, I'm a grown man. Who's going to tell me what to do, right? I mean, if my mom calls me late at night and she says, what are you doing up so late? I'm going to say, what are you doing up so late? I'm a grown man, right? And nobody wants somebody telling them what to do because it goes against that authority that we think we have. And we are drowning in a culture that says nobody can tell you what to do. You're your own man. You're your own woman. You do what you want to do. But I think one of the things that makes us different as the people of God is that we read and hear God's word and then we believe it and then we do it. It's really simple. That's our motivation for obedience. We don't need a laser light show. 
right? We don't need uh, high definition videos on the latest 72 inch 4K Ultra HD Smart 3D OLED TVs, right? In order for us to obey God. We hear, we believe, and then we do it. And what we find in the Bible is that the commands of God, you know, they're not burdensome. They, they actually are joyful. Well, they feel like work, don't they? When we, f when we don't want to do something, it feels like work because it goes against who we are, right? But for the person who is trained in obedience to God's Word, it brings joy and it brings peace and it brings strength to get us through even the hardest of life's trials. And so I think that's what sets us apart from those who may come in through these doors and hear God's word uh, and, and nothing happens because they don't have the spirit of God in them. They don't hear and believe. And so before we sit down and we really uh, eat from this delicious, delicious section of scripture, we kind of need to set the table. Uh, in order for us to see what's going on in this passage, we need to go back further than the death of Christ. We need to go back to Matthew chapter 26. So follow with me if you can. The plot to kill Jesus has begun. All right, uh, Judas has betrayed Jesus to the chief priests, and they give him that blood money. And uh, Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. They sing a hymn, probably a Rock of Ages. right? Uh, and then they leave there, and they go to the Mount of Olives. And just before that famous prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. He says, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So, did you, get, did you catch that? Before, I mean, I'm sorry, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to A little, little participation. Where's he going to meet him after he's raised? Galilee. Galilee. There you go. All right. So again, look at, look at chapter 28. We're going to go ahead now to, ch to, to chapter 28. And I'm going to read, read fast, okay? You ready for this? And we're going to have it up on the screen, I think. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Where is here? Where's the here? In the tomb, right? And where's the tomb? Jerusalem. For he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you too. Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Now, let's just take a quick time out. The word behold, it's an old-fashioned word, right? We don't really use this word. Does anybody use the word behold in, a, in, in their natural course of conversation, right? You do? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, I don't use it, all right? And, you know, some of you may know that uh, my wife and I, we just had our third child just a few weeks ago. And when people ask me about, like, what was it like when, you know, when she was in labor, and, you know, I don't say, uh, you know, she woke me up at 3.30 in the morning, and we went to the first hospital, and then we said, no, we'll go to the second hospital, and behold, 
she brought forth a son. Right? I don't say that. I don't say that. But I mean that, don't I? I mean, I have a baby boy. It's important. Listen to what I'm going to say. That's what behold means. Whenever you see the word behold, listen up, because something important is coming. And by the way, behold in the book of Matthew is used 40 times. 40 times. Five of them in chapter 28. Five of them. You think he's trying to tell us something important? And the angel is saying, he's not dead anymore. Behold, you're going to see him again in Galilee. In Galilee. And then again in verse 10, check this out. Jesus appears to the women that went to the tomb and says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So any any Bible nerds want to take a guess at how far they think Galilee is from Jerusalem? Anybody? Well, it's roughly 70 miles from Galilee to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Galilee, right? That would have taken about seven days for them to travel that far. Seven days. And so from this point on, I mean, I'm sorry, from this point, from Matthew 28, verse 10, to verse 16 that we started with this morning, we don't know exactly how much time has passed. And so we have to kind of piece together from, different, uh, from the other Gospels and from different places in the New Testament to find out how much time has passed. Okay? We know that Jesus was on earth after his resurrection for 40 days. Okay? We know that. The Bible says that pretty clearly. All right? And we know that he was resurrected in Jerusalem. He was going to meet with them in Galilee. And then he was going to ascend. Remember when he's lifted up off the ground? He's going to ascend back to heaven in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem. Okay? So that's 14 days that the disciples uh, are walking. Bare bones minimum, right? But we also know that Jesus appeared to the disciples eight days after his resurrection. And that's when, remember when he met with Thomas and he said, Thomas, put your hand here. See that that I, I have a body, I'm alive, right? I'm not a ghost. And so, uh, and also remember that the disciples, uh, that Jesus met with the disciples, anybody remember what they did after the resurrection? They went to Galilee, and what happened? Where, where did the disciples go? Anybody remember? It's kind of class participation today. Well, they went back to fishing, we went back to fishing, you remember that? And it was probably not just so that they could eat something, it was probably, they, they probably restarted their business again. They're out in the middle of the night, they're fishing. Remember, Jesus comes to them on the shore and they don't recognize him. And he says, have you caught anything? And they said, no, we haven't caught anything. Throw your nets on the other side. Remember that? And then he eats with them, he eats breakfast with them. And he shows himself to his disciples. And then he asks Jesus, or Peter those famous words, those famous, uh, those famous words, do you love me more than these? You remember that? And so he appears to them at Galilee there. <clears throat> but then there's this strange uh, thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.6. I think I have this up on the slide. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.6, Paul says, Then he appeared, so Jesus appeared, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And so, okay, so this is just me guessing, Okay with the help of a bunch of commentaries. But I believe that this meeting in Galilee that Jesus first told them about in Matthew 26, and then the angel told the women about at the tomb, and then Jesus reminded the women 
uh, after they were leaving the tomb, this meeting in Galilee was this meeting of the 500 brothers. And likely there may have been more than just 500 there, right? And it makes sense to me that this meeting would be in Galilee because we know that when, when you read through the Gospels, most of the people who responded well to Jesus were in Galilee, not so much in Jerusalem. And he was warmly received in Galilee for the most part. And so, and when you look at the weight of this Great Commission passage and the importance of it, it would make sense to me that this meeting happened with those 500 brothers. So that brings us now to verse 16. So all of that was just kind of setting the table to this passage that we opened up with today. So let's go ahead and throw that big passage back up. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. You know, I always try to put myself into the shoes of the disciples when you read in the Gospels and just try to picture what would it be like to hear Jesus say this in this context, in this way, and to hear, you know, the force and the weight of which he would say something. And when Matthew writes, when they saw him, they worshipped him and some doubted, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, think about it. It had been a pretty crazy month for the followers of Jesus, Okay. Uh, and here they are back in Galilee because some of them heard. Now remember, when Jesus appeared to them, he's not appearing to the 500 at once at, at the beginning. They're only hearing about him. Some of the disciples had seen Jesus and the women had seen Jesus, but not everybody. And so the news was beginning to ripple out and saying that Jesus is alive and there's just these rumors going around. And these, these, this group of believers had followed Jesus. They had given up their normal way of life to be with him for, for some of them for uh, you know, two years or more. And oh, by the way, this guy that they are disillusioned by because they had followed, they had given up their normal way of life, he dies, but before he did that, he, he predicted he was going to die, which that's not a big deal, I guess. I can predict my death too, right? But he predicted that he was going to rise again. And so this man who had predicted this, they see him. He comes to them and they see him. And Matthew just so simply puts, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm like, yeah, that's what you do. When you have seen Jesus and then you saw him die and then you saw him buried in the ground and then you see him again, yeah, that's what you do. You fall down in, on your face in worship of this God-man, right? Or you just start rubbing your eyes and scratching your head and like, that. there's no way. That, is that him? Is that him? That can't be him. That's what you do, right? That's the, nat that's the natural thing. And listen, there's no condemning tone in this passage. When it says... When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There's no, there's no condemning tone. It doesn't say God killed those who doubted, right? But I love what it says next. And let's not overlook this. It says, and he came and said to them. Let's pause before we go any further. You have this group of people who have just seen now Jesus back from the dead. 
And some are worshiping him and others and they're talking and they're, they're confused and they're like, what's going on? And it says, Jesus came to them. He drew near to them, the Greek says. He approached them. Those who were worshiping and those who were totally confused and doubting. And he comes to them and he gives to them some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. And these are those words. Verse 18. Jesus came and drew near to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, the Great Commission is one of those passages uh, that's kind of like a bedrock for our lives. It's kind of one of those passages that when you read through uh, the commands in Scripture, they all kind of find their purpose back here. The purpose for all of those commands is that God has a mission. And He's using us to accomplish that mission. And so it's kind of one of those life verses that we can stake our life on this The Great Commission, making disciples, is what we should be doing with our lives. Not just somebody who stands up here behind a pulpit, but every single one of us. We need to be making disciples until our last breath. So what exactly is the Great Commission? What does it mean to make disciples? Well, I guess technically the commission comes in verse 19, right? to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. But it's sandwiched in between these two really um, powerful promises of Jesus. And the first one is this, all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Can we just sit there for a second? The authority of God. And we just need to kind of feel the weight of what that means. That means that Jesus can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, to whomever he wants to do it to. Nobody causes him to act. He does it completely of his own free volition. There's nothing that he does not have the power over or the rights to. So that means the smallest bird that that dies in the Amazon jungle to the raging wildfires or earthquakes or tornadoes. He's in charge of. He's in charge of everything. And it's not just the natural world that he's in charge of, it's the spiritual world as well. He's in charge of angels, demons, And did you know that he's in charge of hell itself? It's in there. He's in charge of everything. And it's not just the natural world or the spiritual world, but it's also the political world. Look at Acts chapter 17. We'll throw it up here. Uh, Verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of of their dwelling place. You see, Jesus is in charge of Basar Assad's reign in Syria. And Kim Jong-un 
in North Korea, and he knows the boundaries of ISIS. Jesus is in charge of everything. And that's why he can say to his followers, go and make disciples of all nations because ultimately they belong to him. They belong to him. Now, let's get a little bit more personal. If Jesus is in charge of everything, that means that he is in charge of you and me. That's why we say Jesus is Lord. We don't just say Jesus is captain or Jesus is leader. We say Jesus is Lord because he has the authority over your life. Now listen to me. You were made for him. You belong to him for two reasons. Number one, he created you. He created everything. He created you. He's the reason you're here. Number two, he gave his life for you. You belong to him. You don't have the authority over your life. Jesus has authority over your life. And he has given us a mission. He's, he is the commander. We are the, uh, the infantry. And we are to fulfill those commands, those orders. And that mission is not over yet. You know how I know? Because we're still alive. The mission isn't over until we've breathed our last or Jesus returns. <clears throat> and so having, Jesus having authority over all things, including us, means that when we go and we are on this mission, we can't fail. We can't fail. It's impossible. It is a win-win situation for us. For when we go and make disciples, and they respond in faith, and they begin to worship, and then they go and make disciples, we win, right? And whether we go and make disciples, and they can't stand, they can't stand us, and they reject God's word, and, and they don't worship him, guess what? We win, because we are being obedient to our commander. We are being obedient to the one who has all authority. It's a win-win situation, and we can't fail. And now, I don't want anyone in here to be intimidated, okay, by this Great Commission, because it is a huge task, is it not? When it says, make disciples of how many nations? All, not, not one or two, all nations, okay? So obviously, this isn't a job uh, just for Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas, right? But it is a command for you and I, and it's not just for certain people. Hear me, it's not just for those weird people who go to Nigeria, Right? It's not just for, for missionaries, for pastors, for people who, got to, who go to Bible school. It's for every one of us. Remember how I said that the Great Commission is far-reaching. It reaches to the ends of the earth, but it reaches down to our everyday ordinariness. Right? We get to go and share the gospel in our everyday lives and make disciples of those that we come across. Now, the main emphasis in verse 19 is to make disciples, okay? And that's what we've been talking about. And there's three words that Matthew uses to describe what it means to make disciples. And those three words are go, baptize, and teach, okay? So those three words, okay, I'm not, a, I'm not an English person in here. I actually failed English several times, 
in school. But those apparently are called participles, all right? I have no idea what that means. But those of you that do, you'll understand. So those three things describe the main thing, which is make disciples. So the first one says go. The first one is go, therefore. And I think that that word, go, gets overlooked or ignored or explained away because most of us in here are not going to pack up our bags and go to another country, are we? But we can't ignore this word go. We need to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. And what do we know about their lives after they see um, the risen Lord and, and he ascends from the earth? What do we know about what they did? They went. They went literally to other nations to make disciples. And so they were obedient to the command to make disciples by going. They went, plain and simple. Okay, so we can't explain it away some other way. You have to go. Okay? And I have been praying as I have prepared for this message. I have been praying for someone, at least one person in here, one family, that you would be willing to give up your house and your home and the family that you're near and go to a place where people do not know Jesus to go and make disciples. I've been praying that someone in here would do that. It wouldn't make me mad if you all left. But I know that's probably not going to happen. And so what do we do for those that are not going to pack up our bags? What do we do with this word go? And some of you are like, well, Brett, you know, my neighbors need Jesus, right? America's going to hell in a handbasket. Yes, I know. All right? I know this. I hear it all the time. So what do we do with this word go? Well, very simply, the word go means that they aren't coming to you. They're not coming to you. Wouldn't it be great if you could just do whatever you wanted to do and people would come to you and say, I really want to know what it's like to follow Jesus. Please tell me. Help me. Right? But they're not. And so Jesus says, go to them, those who are not disciples, those who do not worship. Go to them and make disciples. And so that means, uh, as you're going to school, make disciples. As you are going on vacation, make disciples. Yes, even on vacation. As you're going throughout your day at work, make disciples. And as you're at home and you have kids running around and you're stepping on Legos, make disciples. And for those in here who are uh, parents or grandparents, listen, you know, God is calling us to make disciples of our kids first and foremost. Fathers, we are to be shepherds of our families just as a pastor is a shepherd of a church. We are to worship with them and pray with them and read to them to make disciples of our children. God has given us that mission. And so go, therefore, and make disciples of your own household. And you know, that might not mean that uh, you go to another country. Like I said, it, I wouldn't be upset if some of you went to Nigeria or Nepal or Nicaragua or any other country, may or may not start with the letter N. <laughs> All right? But it might mean that you need to go to another city. It may not, but God may be calling some of you to do that. 
Now, the second word that kind of supports the main idea in make disciples is the word baptize. Now, baptism, at least uh, from my perspective, from my, in, in the things that I've uh, heard and seen, baptism has become one of these secondary issues, right? Because we always say that salvation is um, by faith alone in Christ alone, right? And it's true. So if, that's all it takes, okay? We, we accept the gospel and we believe the gospel. We don't need to be baptized in order to be saved. And so we have to ask ourselves, why then did Matthew say, go, make disciples, and baptize them? Why didn't he say, preach the gospel? You know, in uh, Luke and in Mark, they say, preach the gospel. So why doesn't Matthew say it? Well, I think, for one, that when the disciples went to the nations to to make disciples, baptism became such a normal thing, a normal occurrence, that if someone wasn't baptized, then there was reason to believe that they were not genuine in their faith. If someone wasn't baptized, that means that there, there was probably some reason to doubt whether or not they were genuine with their faith. And that's just how it was. It was a normal, everyday thing. And you know, he didn't say, go preach the gospel, because the readers of Matthew knew that baptism, man, it is loaded with the gospel. It is loaded. It is a beautiful, vivid picture of what the gospel is. I mean, think about it. Those of you that have seen or been baptized, I mean, you go down under the water and you say into the world at that point, I'm dead to my sin. I'm dead to it. I am no longer Lord over my life. I'm dead. And just as Jesus was buried in the ground, I'm buried. And then we come up out of the water and we're shouting to the world that I have a new life, that my sins have been washed away because of what Jesus has done. And just as Jesus came back from the dead, I come back in newness of life. And so baptism is loaded with the gospel. And that's why I, didn't, I don't think Matthew has to say go and preach the gospel. Because when people are baptized, man, they're preaching the gospel. And so when we go and we share the gospel with others, let's not shy away from saying, you must be baptized. Understanding all what that means, we might have to explain it to them. It's a weird thing. People just think it's some religious ritual that we do. But no, it's way more than that. And of course, it's important to know that Jesus is not just calling us to go and to call people to be baptized. But it says, but we must teach others what it means to obey Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Teaching them. Now, I think first what this means is that we need to understand that the gospel is not just a doorway to our life with Christ. We don't just walk through the doorway of the gospel into this relationship with God. But the gospel is our life in Christ. If you were here with, when Graham spoke, when he was speaking in Hebrews about solid food and milk, do you remember this? I mean, think about this. The immature need milk, right? People who don't know Christ 
or are young in the faith, they need to know about the gospel of Jesus, don't they? So does that mean that people who are veterans in the faith, they don't need the gospel? They don't need to understand what it means? It's not us opening the Bible and finding some allegorical interpretation of Scripture that's deep and mysterious and that no one knows about. That's not solid food. You see, milk is the gospel. And solid food is the gospel. The difference is how solid food is we take the gospel and we apply it to, say, our anger problems. Okay? We don't learn to manage our anger. We learn to kill it with the gospel. And we take the gospel and we apply it to that jealousy part of us. Or we take the gospel and we apply it to that gossip area of our lives. That's solid food. How does the death and the resurrection of Jesus change how I hold my fork and knife at the table? See, the gospel needs to permeate every part of our lives. It's not just a doorway to walk through for the young. It's for all of us. And so we need first to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, and do the gospel so that when we make disciples and we go to them and we call them to be baptized and we share the gospel with them, we can tell them and teach them how to apply the gospel in every area of their lives. And a baby doesn't just become a grown-up overnight. He doesn't just go from milk to solid food the drop of a hat. It's a process. And that's why relationship is so important in our lives with those who don't know Christ or those who are young in Christ. Because God is calling us to teach this process of bringing them from where they are to where they can be in Christ. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? And so as disciples, we hear the Word, we believe the Word, Listen, we're not reading the Bible so that we can just get uh, a bunch of good principles to live by or, or cliches that we can say to people who are in a worse state than us. We read the Bible for power. The second promise that Jesus gives us is found in verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's that word again. Plain and simple, listen, this promise means power. It means power. Jesus is not in this room tonight in a physical way. But he is here with us, fulfilling this promise in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, this is God's mission for our lives. And He has not left us alone to do it. He has given us the Holy Spirit as power to overcome sin and temptation in our lives, to overcome the struggles and the hardships that we go through so that we can make disciples. And so, the promises of God should propel us forward, that He is all authority over everything, and that He has given us the power to do it. It should propel us forward on this 
mission. Now before we close, and we're going to have a, a time of reflection before we go, but I want to go back to the first uh, verse that we read in verse 16. <clears throat> and I just want to point out something that's so simple. You know, we just, man, we just glanced right over this, right over it. And I just want to close with this. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. You know, it just seems so simple to say, but nothing happens except to those who are available to have it happen. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is from Isaiah who says, here am I, send me. He's simply saying, I'm here, I'm available to you. And it's really the starting point for our lives if we want to have an impact on, on our world. We have to be there. The disciples were there. They went to see Jesus. They had enough desire in their hearts that made themselves available to Him, and so they went to Galilee. And because they were there, just because they were there, Jesus spoke these words to them. And remember that it wasn't just the disciples, but those who were disillusioned and confused and some that were doubting. They made themselves available to Jesus. Would you think about the authority of Jesus and the command to make disciples of all nations, remembering His promise to be with us? And would you make yourself available to Him and just say, like Isaiah, here am I, Lord. Send me. Let's pray.